for our visitors, there is there is some packets on the back table there. Please fill out the information. We would be glad to contact you. Thank you so much. Would you stand with me and pray before we uh, look at what is written? Our Father, I thank you for this time of worship this morning. Father, we just believe that each one of us is here for a reason, and perhaps you've even shown that to us, that we needed to be part of the worship, the fellowship. We needed to hear Pete speak to our hearts about needs and how we can help. And now, Lord, we go to your word, and, and maybe you brought someone here, many of us, to hear this. So we ask that you would speak to us through your word. Your word is truth. And Father, we pray that you would guide us into truth. Help us to be people of the word, people of your truth. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. My uh, best friend in college... After college, chose to move to San Francisco to become part of the acting uh, community there. In a while, he also became a part of the LGBTQ community there. There was a guy going to high school around here that uh, I spent a year meeting every week with um, studying the scriptures. After graduating from high school a few years later, he went and got a job on a cruise ship and uh, chose to get involved in the gay lifestyle there. A number of years ago, I received a uh, Application for counseling at our camp from a person who had publicly on social media announced that they were gay. And I turned this person down for counseling and experienced a lot of brutal attacks on social media for making that decision. What happened in those situations? What happened? Did um, did somebody come to realize that uh, God had made them a certain way that they didn't catch until they were older? Uh, did they give in to social pressure? Uh, were there something about how they were raised, their family? Um. Did they find real love finally in their life? After being confused about who they were, did they come to the place where eventually they knew who they were, learned their identity? Or was it the 
late 60s and early 70s, the sexual revolution and its long-term impact. What was it? What happened? And what is happening right now with the increase of this uh, movement? I mean, what is happening that our culture would embrace the gay lifestyle, promote it, and demonize those who don't affirm it? What is happening when our government embraces this lifestyle, promotes it through law, and demonizes through law those who do not affirm? What is happening when in the schools this lifestyle is embraced and promoted and you're demonized if you don't affirm it? What is happening in churches who are embracing this lifestyle, promoting it, and demonizing people who do not affirm it? What what happened? Well, to answer that question, as always, we have to ask an important question. And by now in this series, you know what that question is. To answer the question, what happened, we have to ask the question, what is written? Not what is written in textbooks, what's written in the law, what's written in the books in the library, but what is written in the Word of God. What does God say about where this came from? About what's happening? And again, to answer the question, what is written, we have to go back to the beginning. So, if you would take your Bibles... And like we've done probably every week in this series, let's go back to the book of Genesis, to the beginning. Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. I want to talk about three things today. You have them there on your study sheet so you can follow along. I want to talk about uh, the corrupting fall, the godless exchange, and then we're going to end on more of a positive note, hopeful note, and talk about the redeeming gospel. First of all, in Genesis, we've already been talking about what happened at the beginning uh, as recorded in Genesis 1 and 2. And so... By the time we're at the end of chapter 2 in Genesis, um, everything was good and very good. Remember those words being used? All of creation was good. God had spoke creation into existence by his power. And it was good. And then he created male and female. He created two human beings. He began the human race. He created a male, a man, and he created a female, a woman. And he brought them 
together into what we know as marriage. And everything was going well. God's creation and his design were functioning well in the way he had planned it. But then, Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Planting doubts about God's word. Did he really say? Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. It's not true. God didn't mean that. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Do you realize, woman, that you can be like God? Do you think maybe he's holding back on you? He knows you could be more like him. Even though you're created in the image of God, you can be more like him. <clears throat> and so with the casting of doubts of what God has said, with the questioning if what he said was really true and if he really meant what it sounds like, and suggesting that there would be a benefit from eating the tree that God is trying to withhold from you. You can be more like God. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. She saw it was good. Good for who? Her. She saw it was pleasing to look at. It was pleasing to the eye. Pleasing to whose eye? Hers. And it was desirable for gaining wisdom. In whom did it create the desire to gain wisdom? Her. And so, she ate. Gave to her husband, he ate. Quite the leader. And here's something interesting. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together, and made coverings for themselves. First thing that happened was the coming into the world of shame and guilt and fear. 
Isn't it interesting that back at the end of chapter 2, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. That's the way God intended it. It's the way he designed it. And after what we call the fall took place, when sin came into the world, it says they realized they were naked and tried to hide it. There was shame. And we call it the fall. We point to this as when sin came into the world. Now we might say, well, that was then. That was those two. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans, chapter 5. Starting in verse 12 of that chapter, as the Apostle Paul is talking about sin, he's been talking about it for a couple chapters already, but he continues, and here's what he says in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. Verse 15. For the many died by the trespass of the one man. Verse 16, toward the end. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. Verse 17. By the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man. Verse 18. Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people. Verse 19. As through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. Isn't that interesting? Paul keeps repeating that idea. Who's the one man? Back to the beginning. Adam, the first man. And Paul is clearly trying to get across this fact that because of what happened in the garden, recorded in Genesis 3, all are sinners. All from that point on are sinners. Separated from God. Condemned. Under judgment. Now that's what's written. That's what's written. And when sin came into the world, sin corrupted everything. Sin corrupted creation, right? That good creation. It was functioning so well the way God designed it. And sin came into the world and corrupted that design. Creation. Sin corrupted the first man, the first woman. It brought shame to their experience. They felt fear. They felt guilt. It corrupted relationships. It corrupted Adam and Eve's relationship and every relationship from then on. It corrupted marriage. Sin corrupted everything and continues to do that. <clears throat> um, in the uh, second 
Second Peter. He talks there about the world, the flesh, and the devil. You can go to Ephesians 2. You can go to a number of places. Even James makes some reference to this. But talks about the world, the flesh, the devil. Probably heard about that. The world, the flesh, the devil. Um, you could call that the corrupt trio. You know, uh, the world. Uh, the world that opposes God and His truth, His His design, corrupted. Uh, the flesh, our sin nature within us, corrupted. The devil, of course, corrupt. And uh, in Ephesians 2, especially, Paul says those three are in control of those who are apart from God. Those who don't know Him are under the control of the world, their own sinful nature, their flesh, and the devil. And then when we come to salvation, we're freed from that control. But we all know, and the Bible says, we are still influenced by that corrupt trio, right? We're, we're influenced by the world. It's philosophies. It's, it's uh, thinking that is opposed to God and his design. We're impacted still and influenced by our flesh that tends towards sin. And, of course, we're influenced by the devil, the tempter. There was a guy who lived back in the 1700s named Robert Burns. You have a, a quote from him, which is really part of a poem he wrote. He was known as the great poet, maybe the greatest in Scotland, they say. And uh, this is part of a, a poem he wrote, and it's being addressed to God. And he says, Thou knowest thou hast formed me with passions wild and strong, and listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. Now, you need to know something about Robert Burns to kind of get an idea of what he might be saying there in his poem. Robert Burns, during his short lifestyle, he died at 37, age of 37. During his short lifespan, he had multiple sexual partners. Sexual partners outside of marriage, sexual partners in marriage. And so, with that in mind... You can kind of get an idea of what he's saying. He says to God, Thou knowest thou hast formed me with passions wild and strong. And listening to their witching voice has often led me wrong. You know what he's saying? He's saying the same thing Adam said when God confronted Adam. What did Adam say? It was the woman you gave me. From the beginning, sin often has been blamed on God. And Burns is saying, God, you made me this way. God, you gave me these wild and strong passions. And that's why I do what I do. Does that sound familiar? 
God made me this way. That's why I'm choosing this path. It's God. Um, People don't like to hear it, but if you go back far enough to the beginning to what is written, the answer to the question, what happened and what is happening, is sin. I don't want to hear it. No. But that's the answer to the question. What happened? It's a part, a result of the corrupting fall. Where sin comes into the world and it corrupts the creation and design of God. Including his design for sexuality that we've been talking about. Because sin corrupts everything. It always has. Let's jump from Genesis to Romans. Not a big jump if you were in Romans when I was reading there, but let's go to the first chapter of Romans. This is kind of Paul's way of giving us the message of Genesis 3. Could maybe look at it that way. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth. Keep that phrase in mind, uh, maybe underline it. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. How? For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, his creation, so that people are without excuse. For though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now, a lot of times we skip over that that verse there. But do you see what Paul's saying? There's the choice to not glorify God to not give him the glory they know he deserves. And there's the choice to not give thanks to God, to recognize God as their God. Instead, they go with their thinking. They follow their hearts and claim to be so wise when really, by following their thinking and their hearts, They become foolish. And here's what they do. Verse 23. And they exchange the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What's Paul saying? He's saying what man has done 
is that he has exchanged God's glory for idolatry. There's been an exchange in the mind and the heart of man since the beginning. Choosing not to give God the glory and the thanks and recognize him. But instead, to worship his creation. And so they make images of human beings, of animals, of other parts of creation, and worship them. You see the exchange? You see what sin does? That's what sin does. It causes people to exchange glory to God and thanks to Him for glory and thanks to human beings, animals, and creation. Sin corrupts. He goes on. He talks about another exchange. Now, this takes us back to verse 18 that I asked you to underline. He says, people suppress the truth. In other words, they take the truth that's out there and they suppress it. They, They push it down. Keep it away. And here's the exchange, verse 25. They exchange the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve created things rather than the Creator. So there's the second exchange that sin has brought into this world. People suppress the truth of God. They push it down out of the way. And they exchange God's truth for lies. And they put the lies in the place of God. Lies about any kind of subject. But lies. But there's a third interesting exchange that Paul talks about. This is really interesting. Verse 24, he says, Therefore, because people have refused to glorify God and recognize Him as God, and instead they worship uh, human beings, creation, um, including themselves, by the way, and because they've suppressed God's truth and decided to believe lies, Verse 24 says, therefore God gave them over. That simply means instead of stepping in and stopping them, he let them face the consequences. He let them go on and face the consequences of their choice. And it's interesting that the very first consequence, the very next step, Is this, verse 24, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Verse 26, because of this God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. 
men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Now, if, if you read the rest of the chapter, he goes on to list many other uh, sinful practices, sinful lifestyles, okay, that... Uh, people in this world go into if they reject God as the one who gets the glory and the thanks. And if they suppress his truth and put lies in the truth's place. He does list other sinful practices as you go on. But isn't it interesting that the very first one is the impact that these choices that man makes has on sexuality. really interesting. But then I think, wait, back at the beginning, what was the first thing that was impacted by the fall? Two people who were naked and unashamed became shameful, guilty, fearful. The first thing mentioned in Genesis 3 that was an impact of the fall was how it impacted them actually sexually in that area. And so no wonder Paul comes later and he says when people, rather than giving God glory, create other gods, and when they suppress God's truth in what he says, what is written, and put in God's place lies, the first impact is in the area of sexuality, along with many other sins that Paul talks about. But it's the first one he talks about. There is some connection there, friends, that we need to take heed. It's a big deal. And then, of course, he ends the chapter after he's listed all these other sinful practices and sinful lifestyles. He says in 32, Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. What does the word approve mean? It means to applaud, to say well done, or get this, to affirm. So what happened? What is happening? Where did this all come from? I suggest to you that even if it makes sense that this movement uh, really took off and built up speed since the late 60s and early 70s, the sexual revolution. The ultimate explanation is back to the beginning. The corrupting fall of man into sin and how sin corrupted everything. And the corrupt world, the corrupt Flesh and obviously the corrupt devil have continued to be the corrupt trio 
that influences this world and, sadly, influences the people of God. Um, We don't like to hear it. But the explanation is sin. And have you ever noticed, and I'm sure you have, that the middle letter in the word sin is I. Isn't that appropriate for that word? Because that's what sin is all about. It's about me. It's about what I want. It's about my will. It's about my thoughts. It's about my heart. It's about my desire. It's about my feelings. It's about my emotions. It's about my pleasure. It's about my rights. It's about me controlling my own life. It's about me not letting anybody tell me what to do. It's about me, like the serpent said to Eve, being our own God. Sin is all about me. And even if I see what God says, even if I see what is written, I will suppress that and put in its place my desires, my will, my emotions, my passions. And when we do that, it corrupts even the area of sexuality. And there is a great tendency for that to happen. One of the first things when it's all about me. So three exchanges. Sin came into the world. It corrupted everything. It brought about these three exchanges. Exchanging the glory of God for giving glory to something He created and treating that as God, including ourselves. Sin led to the exchange of God's truth for lies. And sin led to the corrupting of God's design for sexuality. His plan for marriage. His plan in that whole area. Corrupted like everything else. Because of sin. There is good news, though. There is good news. And that's the redeeming gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. It involves the gracious love of God who created us and whose creation and design and plan we've messed up that's been corrupted by sin. He still loves us. In fact, like we sang, He loved us so much, He sent His one and only Son to do something about our condition of being under the control of sin. And it's about forgiveness, and and it's about hope, and it's about the opportunity for a new life, a new kind of life, the opportunity for a changed life. 
the opportunity to be a new person from the inside out. The opportunity to be who God created you to be and what God created you to be. It's the redeeming gospel. And uh, let me just read some of the things that Scripture says as it begins to and then shares this news of the redeeming gospel. Scripture says, here's what is written. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. All sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Everyone who keeps on sinning is a slave to sin, but you can know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. For God demonstrated His love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty for our sins. And if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and a time of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, what I just read is what is written. It's from various scriptures that tell us about the redeeming gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to recommend a book. And it's in the library because Lauren said so. If you remember last week, he, he shared some uh, new books and things that have come to the library. And, and one is this book. Uh, it's called Holy Sexuality and the Gospel. It's by Christopher Yuan. Yuan, something. But uh, uh, we had the privilege of hearing him speak uh, last year, tell his story. Um, uh, Christopher was... Um, living in the gay lifestyle. He um, ended up in jail for other reasons. Um, and it was when he was in jail that he began to read the Scriptures. He got bored and began to read the Scriptures. And God met him there in jail. And he repented of his sins, which were many, including as he came to admit his uh, uh, sexual practices, uh, surrendered his life to Christ. And God began to change his life. And uh, he has a book before this one that gives his testimony, all the details about that. Uh, this book is more of a teaching book concerning sexuality and the gospel. But I want to read some excerpts from the book, just, you know, less than a minute of some things he says there. He says, sexuality was the core of who I was, and everything and everyone around me affirmed that. And if being gay truly means that's who I am, 
it would be utterly cruel for someone to condemn me for simply being myself. The world tells those of us with same-sex attractions that our sexuality is the core of who we are. But now, my identity is no longer gay, nor is it ex-gay, nor is it straight. My true identity is found in Jesus Christ alone. I am committed to studying and submitting to biblical and theological truth. Because correct living flows from correct truth. And he shares that truth uh, in this book. It's, it's worth reading. Not only for the reminder that God can change lives. No one is stuck in sin. No one is in an impossible situation. In any kind of sinful lifestyle. And uh, we hear testimonies all the time that reinforce that truth, right? There's always hope. God changes lives through the redeeming gospel. But we need to know what happened. We need to know where all of this started. And it started with the corrupt fall when sin came into this world and corrupted everything. Everything that had to do with God's creation, His design, His plan, including sexuality. And man has chosen to exchange the glory of God for the glory of God's creation and worship it. Man has chosen to exchange God's truth, suppress it, hold it down, and in its place put lies that are usually very self-centered. And that has often led to an exchange of God's holy design for sexuality and in its place a very impure, unholy violation. of his plan. So, let's conclude with 1 Corinthians 6. I think we did that last week as well. 1 Corinthians 6. And uh, if you're uncomfortable with what I read, don't blame me. It's what is written. All right? 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And if you're uncomfortable to start with, hang on. It gets better. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's a big statement. The way I read it is that anyone who is in that <clears throat> list, if, if, if that describes your lifestyle, your practice, 
what it says is you will not inherit the kingdom of God. You can't stop there, though. Verse 11, he says to the Corinthian church, and that is what some of you were, past tense. Some of you were in those lifestyles, including those sexual lifestyles. He says that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were changed. That's not you anymore. You were changed by Jesus and His justifying, sanctifying, redeeming gospel. There is hope. There is forgiveness. There is change from the inside. And it's through Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I would guess there are people here who can say amen. They remember the lifestyle and the practices of sin that they were involved in. And they can say today, that's what I was. But no more. Because of Jesus. Because of His redeeming grace. His redeeming gospel. And His power to change a life. And we praise You along with those people. And Father, maybe there are people who belong to you here this morning and you know who they are who are struggling in these areas that we've been talking about. Even as Christians, they've been having some doubts and being pressured and confused and having desires and all these things that even make them feel ashamed and guilty afraid. Father, may they declare how much they need you. May they surrender your spirit. May they go to your word over and over and see what is written. And may your spirit by his power in their lives tear down the lies In Jesus' name.